indeed thankful that you are the cornerstone, the foundation. Lord, the one on whom everything rests. Father, I know that we're all susceptible to building on our own foundations and or trying to make our own way. It's a struggle. It's a, I don't know about for anybody else here, but for me, it's a struggle all the time. To discern your voice, to hear you, to trust you, to follow you. And uh, I don't know, I hope we're better today than we were yesterday at it. Lord, I, I need those reminders that sometimes, though I may want it, it's not about me, and that the best efforts of my hands would be so much more if they were the efforts of your hands. Lord, I just love the theme that ran through the music this morning. Reminding me, reminding us that if we're looking for healing, the source is you. If, if we're looking to be accepted, you're, you're the destination at which that happens. And Lord, that if the the ground underneath of us and underneath of our lives is uncertain and shaky. That Jesus stands ready to be our rock, our cornerstone. So Lord, I pray this morning that through this time together, this fellowship with one another, this uh, singing together, the, the, the reading and, and exposition of some of your word, Lord, that that we will be drawn indeed to the cornerstone. Your grace and your mercy is so extravagant towards us. Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you be seated? All right, so we'll let our kids go for Kids World if they'd like to do that. And if you're new with us, you can see they're excited. That's awesome. If you're new with us, kids are always welcome to hang out here with us uh, in uh, the service. If on the rare occasion that we might be discussing something that might be... Um, Maybe too much for kids. We always let parents decide that, but we'll give you a warning. We'll give you a little heads up about that. Uh, but they're always welcome to be here with us, and uh, we love them as uh, part of the church, uh, a critical part of the church. But we also have this opportunity if they'd like to go and uh, 
and do some different activities uh, during the message time, all right? So uh, along with that, uh, I would like to ask you this morning uh, to be praying for uh, the worship team, the technical team, uh, Tyler, as uh, he leads us this week, and uh, Jason and I will be working with some of our students. This is the week on Tuesday night. Uh, for for uh, quite a while now, the worship team has been just meeting on Sunday mornings together uh, to go through the music, and then, and then we're here for worship uh, because schedules are hard and, and it's, it's tough, you know. But uh, we were missing some of that uh, companionship and camaraderie that comes with sort of being more of a life group and having a midweek rehearsal. And so we're returning to that this week, but this week is also the first week where uh, the uh, student ministry, uh, grades seven through 12, whoever we have here that's part of that, are, have been invited to come and to join in and, and become a part of that worship team and the technical team. And some of our students are very excited about that, very interested in those things, uh, learning how to, to do something with this lighting system, learning how to run a sound system and set all those things up. And then some of them will be week-to-week uh, uh, -week members of the worship team. And it's part of that continuing drive that we set out a couple of years ago. Um, and if you uh, weren't here, you'd like to hear some of the story, we could, we could get together for coffee. And I can tell you the intentional path that we've been taking for the last three to five years on a number of different areas of church life, and this is one of them, to continually become more of a multi-generational church where everyone who's part of the church from uh, literally from birth to wherever is a vital part of the ministry of, the, of every day in the church, not someday in the church, amen? And so uh, we're excited about that. I hope that you're excited about that. We'll begin to see some of those students joining us here in the next few weeks as uh, we figure that out. But the first time that we meet together, it's gonna be probably a little bit, you know how it is starting something from scratch be a little bumps in the road. We'll figure them out, but I'm excited for them to join us this uh, Tuesday. So uh, if you have one of those students, I'd encourage you to make sure that they're here and uh, they're with us and they're part of it and uh, that they're getting involved because it's going to be a good time. All right. So with all that being said, uh, first day of November, and uh, if you saw my newsletter uh, article, you know how I'm feeling about uh, the holiday a little bit. Uh, if you've been to the store, you know how the retailers are feeling about the holiday. Um, it's Christmas already, right? Have you noticed? Um, I, I, now, any of you, are any of you the, as soon as November hits, the Christmas music comes on? Anybody? Uh, who's that? Who is that? Oh, Angela Reset back there. I see you. Brian, all right. Anyone else? Um, well, get with me after, and I'll pray with you and see if we can work that out. Uh, not really. Uh, some of you that have known me for a long time know that when I was a younger man, I was a, uh, a Grinch. I really was. <laughs> Don't ask me how I could be uh, called to full-time ministry uh, to love Jesus Christ and share him with other people and then be a Grinch about Christmas because I can't explain it to you either. Uh, but somewhere along the way, God uh, broke that, and, uh, and I'm no longer a Grinch. I'm actually already getting excited about Christmas, but... There's no Christmas music at my house, I can tell you that. Uh, amen. Amen. Um, and part of that is because uh, over the last uh, several years of my life, God's really uh, moved in my heart to think about this season that, that kind of lies in between the big, you know, fall festival, Halloween, all that kind of stuff, and then Christmas arrives, and, and once December hits, you know, it, it does really begin to, 
to just snowball, if you will, towards Christmas. But there's this Thanksgiving thing in between. And, and there's the U.S. holiday, right? We get that, which is somehow related, a little bit related. I'm so thankful for our country and for the opportunity. You know, uh, it's just for many of us the, the, the luck of the draw that we are here in this great country. There are others who have chosen to come here and, and plant their lives and seek the freedom that's available in the United States. And, and so we celebrate those things through Thanksgiving. But I had recognized in my own life that thankfulness wasn't something I was exercising enough, really, in light of the blessings that I had in my life. Um, and so I've sort of taken on, just personally, it, it doesn't show up in, in grand ways, but just sort of personally in my own life to, uh, to consider November a month of thankfulness, to try and remind myself to be thankful uh, in the everyday things and sometimes in the out-of-the-way extraordinary things that happen in life. And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning and over the next uh, few weeks. We're just going to focus on this idea of being thankful. But there's a passage in Thessalonians that says, in all things, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. And as I was thinking about this uh, message today and, and preparing for it, I was thinking about my friend uh, Penny that we've talked about a couple of times who um, had the adventure with the vacuum cleaners that she was giving away. You remember her? Um, if you don't know that story, come see, see me and I'll tell you. Uh, because uh, shortly after that story happened, I also then shared with you that she was diagnosed with cancer in her leg. She's got a tumor on her leg that she named Ida because she says, I don't know what it is. Um, and it was causing her great pain. And she went in to have that dealt with and she's been in now intensive care for the last three and a half weeks uh, because they'd done uh, some surgery and she just went downhill and she's now maybe beginning to make her way back out of it. She's uh, been communicating more through uh, Facebook messages and telling us what's going on and, and her outlook. And she strikes me as such an extraordinary person still, and she was when we were friends in high school. She was just a different sort of person. Uh, she had an outlook that was different uh, than many of us had, and a lot of that was rooted in her faith and her trust in Christ, and that continues today. She had uh, put a post up yesterday about uh, her her dad. She said she was she just moved finally from the intensive care unit to a, a more progressive care, and she's, she's able to speak now, and she's able to eat normal food, and uh, she had begun that at the previous hospital, and she said, you know, they had, at the nurse's station, they had little uh, cups of, like, chicken noodle soup that if she was hungry, they could bring her one, and she had asked the nurses in, in back at the, the hospital, the, the uh, cancer care hospital that she went back to, if they had anything like that, and they said, no. Uh, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. She woke up and she was hungry and uh, they wanted her to eat whenever she can because she was so close to death and was on uh, feeding tubes and trach tubes and everything. I mean, it was, it was, there were about two and a half days there where uh, if you had little faith, uh, she was already gone. Uh, just didn't think she was going to come back. And even if she did come back, would she be restored? Uh, or had there been uh, significant brain damage and things like that where she wouldn't be able to return? And she's, I mean, she's just a miracle in, in progress right now. And the nurse said, no, um, we don't have any of those, but let me go check with the kitchen. And she came back and she said, the kitchen, 
uh, is prepping for the day and they've just made um, a beautiful uh, butternut squash soup and a seafood chowder, which one would you like? And Penny was like, I get to choose? Like, this is amazing, this is wonderful. And she's like, so I'll, I'll have the seafood chowder, you know? So they brought her seafood chowder and she was eating that. And she said as she was eating it, she began to, to reflect on her dad, who she said was hospitalized 17 different times in the course of fighting his cancer that he had before it finally took him. And some of those were long stretches and they were filled with uh, suffering. And she said she would go and visit him and nurses would come in and, and visit with him and friends would come in and visit with him. And, uh, and he would tell them, they would look at his suffering, I'm gonna need some water. Tyler, is this water bottle back here yours? I'm gonna yeah, steal it, you can, right. you know. You're clean, right? <laughs> Anybody grossed out by that? We're buddies, we're friends, it's okay. Really, sorry. I bless this water in Jesus' name. Nomine Patri et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. All right, there we go. I didn't see any particulate floating in there, so I think I'm all right. If you got kids, you backwash is no big deal, right? Can I get an amen? Um, if it is, you're going to have a hard time as a parent. But uh, people would come in and talk with their dad, and and uh, he, he was never unkind about it. He was always trying to make a point, but sometimes people talk about their lives and things that were happening, and, and it didn't matter what was going on as far as their problems in life. He would sort of have this one-up thing, like, oh, you think that was bad? And then he would tell them about something that he had gone through or mistakes that he had made. You know, somebody would come in and, and lament that they had done something stupid, and he'd go, boy, that's not stupid. Let me tell you stupid, and he would tell his story. And he wasn't trying to minimize their experience or be better than them, it, it always ended with, he said, even in my greatest suffering, my faith in Christ is what sustained me. And so he would say this even as he's laying there in the hospital, struggling with his cancer and suffering terribly with his pain and with his body rebelling against him. And his message to people who came to visit never changed. They would ask, you know, how are you able to deal with all this? How can you, you know, I mean, you think by around 15 or 16 in the hospital, it's, it's, man, that's getting old, right? And some of you, maybe you've dealt with that or you've had family that's dealt with that. It's terrible. And he would, he would return to that idea that Thessalonian expresses, in all things give thanks. And so the theme today is be thankful for suffering. Be thankful for suffering. There are some... Some out there that, uh, that approach the idea, they say that the absence of suffering equates really to the absence of life. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a couple of quotes from C.S. Lewis in a, a book called The Problem of Pain. He says, uh, try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free will involve, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. If we try to, to excise out the pain from our lives, we'll find that we've actually created something that isn't really life. And this is something that people, I mean, we talk about, you know, back to our kids, we talk about this. If we try to give our kids a pain-free life, we're not doing them any favors, are we? Um, if we never let our children fail, 
we're not teaching them a very good lesson. If we don't allow ourselves to fail, we're not teaching a very good lesson. Life without pain simply becomes existence. Um, there's no contrast to the rest of what life has to offer. Now, we can think of it in heavenly terms that someday we'll be in the presence of God in its fullness in eternity. And he says there, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow. And we'll finally see what a perfected existence looks like. And in that place, because we will have literally everything that we need, because the presence of God will be in its fullness with us, we, don't, we no longer will need that sort of that teacher that suffering brings. But if nothing else, even if you don't buy into the idea that, that without suffering, life isn't life, here's the fact of the matter. None of us are going to live a life absent of suffering. Right? Uh, it, it, even if we don't buy the idea that, that suffering gives us insight and information and sometimes inspiration about life, and so therefore we try to avoid any kind of pain or suffering, it's a fruitless effort. This is why we're not teaching our kids a good lesson if we try to remove all the pain from their lives. Because later, there will be pain in their life. In fact, probably not later, right? Um, just around the corner, just down the street, there will be disappointment, sickness, loss, mistakes. You know, the, own, the stuff that we own for ourselves. And then there's the idea that sometimes the pain that we bear, the suffering that we have, may not be something that's visible may not even be something that's physical. You can have physical pain that isn't visible, but you can have pain that isn't physical. Mental anguish, spiritual pain, depression, anxiety, fear, heartache, disappointment. In the same book, Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says this about that. He says, Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal our mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say that my heart is broken. The church community, this place, your friends here or the church at large should be a place where every pain that, that humanity experiences should be something that can be brought into the open and expressed to one another. Because it's in that community is sometimes where we find not necessarily relief of our suffering because some things simply don't get relieved. Paul talks about this, right? When he writes about it, he says he has this thorn in his flesh it's causing him great suffering. He's cried out to God numerous times to take it away, and God said, no. And so suffering is not always relieved, but in 
the community of the saints, the fellowship of the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ, there should be a place where we can come and share our suffering and not be condemned for it, not be lectured for it, not be set aside. And we find this in the Bible, this idea of suffering that uh, doesn't necessarily cease, but we find our strength in the Lord and in his might and in his love. In fact, there are several psalms. Uh, you can look this up later if you'd like. I'm just going to refer to one of them this morning. But there are several songs that are called Psalms of Lament, the, the Lamentation Psalms. It's not the book of Lamentations. That's a whole book of, oh, woe is me. But there are some psalms. You know, we think of psalms like, you know, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Can I say rejoice? Enter his courts with thanksgiving. And, and his gates with praise and, and shout Hosanna to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and all we think of those when we think of psalms. But then there's psalms like Psalm 13 that sounds like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Ever felt like that? Ever been in the depths of despair? Where, where you've cried out, what, what are you doing, man? What's up? Are you, can, you, can you even hear me? I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm just shouting at the ceiling right now, and nothing's going any further. You're not alone in this group if you've ever felt that way. You're not alone in history if you've ever felt this way. The psalmist says this sort of thing several times. In fact, Psalm 13 is one. There are some psalms that, that we're not entirely sure exactly who wrote them, most of them written by David, but not necessarily every single one. This one in, in the documents that we have that have been translated into our Bible, it actually says, written by David for the music director, turn this into a song. I like sad songs. I'm a sucker for sad songs. This sounds like a pretty sad song. And it would indicate that first line, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, would indicate to me that David is, is in a place where this isn't a new thing. He's been in this season for a while, and he's finally had enough, and he shouts out to God. He's like, how long is this going to go on? And if, if, if Hollywood was writing the story, or more, more specifically, if... I don't know if any of you were involved in like church, youth music, musicals and that sort of stuff like in the 80s, 90s, late 90s. But you know, we'd have these musicals like, um, I can't remember any of the names. Uh, and there was light, I'm sorry? No, 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 I'm talking about church music now. Church music now. Um, see, there was a whole subculture of church musicals that had, I mean, it had a full book, like drama, right, and songs that went along, and actors and characters and all this kind of stuff, and, uh, and they were kind of fun to do. I did them as a youth, as a student, and I did them as a director with students, 
and I got to where I started to hate them. Um, because it was, it would, invariably it had a formula, right? It just had a formula, sometimes like Hollywood movies do or, or TV shows do where you meet your cast of characters and they introduce themselves through some sort of monologue or you learn something about them and then there's uh, a conflict that happens. Wow, something happens and a lot of it because it was youth oriented, you know, my family's falling apart or or I made a mistake over here and now I don't feel like God is with me. It was, it was this kind of, how long, Lord? How, are, can you hear me? Um, uh, have you forgotten me? I'm struggling, I'm hurting. And then 30 seconds before the show was over, there'd be some event that would happen that would bring everything into line and everybody's life would be perfect before the final note of the last song was finished. And that started to irritate me. Because the kids that I had that were working with me as a director, the kids that I had in the show, that wasn't happening in their lives. I mean, they were the people in the show. Their families were actually falling apart. They were actually mixed up with substances or alcohol or giving themselves away to people in sexual situations without any type of uh, eye towards commitment or what holiness looked like and they were, they were reaping the benefits or rewards of that or the detriment of that in their bodies and in their minds. And then we would do these shows where their lives would literally be mirrored in the show, but at the end, uh, almost as if Jesus came swooping in as a superhero character, everything got reconciled and resolved like that. And real life just isn't like that. And this psalm finishes up here, and it doesn't let you off the hook. All right? So... We'll go back to the beginning of it. I'm just going to read through that, and I'm going to give you the last two verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In all things, give thanks. I'm not saying that's easy. I mean, when we're suffering, truly suffering, when there's pain for us or pain for our loved ones, um, physical pain, uh, mental pain, anguish, whatever that may be, when, when we see that in our lives and the lives of others, it isn't as if it's just easy to go, oh, you know, whatever, God's good, it's great. Now, you can say those words fairly easily, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what's happening in the heart agrees with it very easily. I get it. I get it because I'm, I'm like you. Sometimes I'm more in the, have you forgotten me stage? But that's what moved me to that place of, of sort of looking at this month and being very intentional about being thankful 
because if I'm being thankful for all of the month of November, sometime during the month of November, things are going to happen, events are going to occur, uh, something's going to transpire that I'm not thrilled with. It could be tiny, or it could be major. Can I be the person who says, oh, this is terrible, but I trust in your unfailing love. I think uh, I found a, a testimony from a guy online that really resonated with me about this because I think one of the reasons that's difficult for us in today's church economy, today's church culture, is uh, over a, a lot of decades and at different times in history, different things have been taught that give us um, flawed views, flawed ideas uh, about who God is and what he intends to do in his work in humanity and how he intends to interact with us. Um, and we actually did a whole series on that uh, here not too long ago called uh, God Never Said That. And it's uh, some of these trite phrases that people think are, are helpful and some of them they even think are in the Bible and aren't. And they don't actually reflect the character and nature of God, but they've become things that people identify not only with God, but specifically sometimes with Christianity, like, um, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Um, God will never give you more than you can handle, those kinds of things. Uh, both of those are wrong. <laughs> not, not only are they not true, they're not biblical. And there were several others. And another one of those ideas, um, and this one might strike you funny when I first throw it out there, but go with me, because I promise there's a point. Um, We've all probably heard in different circumstances as we've faced things, and I've, I've identified with it, and it is true, but there's a flip side, is that uh, we'll be facing something, and our faith is struggling, and someone will say, well, your God's just not big enough. Right? You heard, anybody heard that? Anybody heard that before? Your God's not big enough. Like, I mean, he's God, right? Think about all that he is and all that he's capable of and all that God wants to do in our lives and the way he's demonstrated himself in the universe and in creation and working in people's lives and maybe working in your life. And, and if you're struggling right now, it's because maybe you're just not expecting enough from God. <clears throat> that could be. And then you have stories like this guy, Daniel. He was a Presbyterian minister. Daniel Hans was his name. And in, uh, back in 1986, he and his wife, Beth, lost their three-year-old daughter to cancer. Uh, they'd watched in agony as they went through nine hospitalizations, four operations, just in the last nine months of her life. And like ours would and ours have at, at times, <clears throat> their hearts broke when Laura died. And in the aftermath, they struggled to make sense of what happened. How does this make sense? It, it never makes sense, right? You can't make sense out of this. And you could come up, every one of us could come up with a scenario in our lives, something we've observed or something we've experienced where we would, it might not be this same exact thing, but we could look at it. We could very objectively examine it and say, this doesn't make sense. Why did this happen? And so in 1987, he put out a book that had some of the sermons that he had preached uh, during his daughter's battle with cancer and the time period immediately after. 
And one of those is entitled, Caution, Your God is Too Big. And it came out of that one time he surveyed his congregation, a group of people just like you. And he asked them about the times that they were disappointed with God. Now, in some of my upbringing, this would be a conversation you wouldn't even be allowed to have. Not at my house, because my dad's a, a super awesome, amazing pastor, and uh, I, I credit him and the life that we lived in our family as uh, instilling the ideas that God can handle pretty much anything we can throw at him. He's not afraid of us, and we shouldn't be afraid of him in that regard. We should seek him out, and he will reveal to us the truth. But in the broader sense, as far as church and evangelical church and kind of fundamentalism, there is this idea that, you know, you don't question God. I mean, it just is what it is. God's God, and you just go along with it. And that's true. He is. He's sovereign, but he's not afraid of your questions, and he's not afraid to take a little bit from you, and all you got to do is read the scriptures and find that out. Uh, there are plenty of examples of, of who we consider to be heroes of the faith and forerunners of us who had moments where they uh, looked at God and said, what are you doing? And he didn't zap them. He met them where they were, and he revealed to them some kind of truth that helped them to go on. And so he asked the people, what, what about, have you ever had disappointments with God? And he'd asked them to share things they had hoped that God would do, but then he didn't do them. And people described, just like we would describe, the times that they prayed for the life of a newborn child, and yet they died. Um, the hope that God would protect uh, people from violence in the church and then to hear the story of one of their elder, elderly members being attacked and stabbed on the way to church. Um, praying for rain uh, in famine-stricken Africa only to continue to see at that time 40,000 children still starving to death every day. And Dan added to his his own disappointment now that he'd prayed fervently that God would heal his child, but she just grew worse and she died. And I've had some people uh, almost violently disagree with me about this principle. I've taught this principle before, not this exact same way, but this principle. And the, the example I always use, uh, Pastor Jason gave us a fantastic uh, message here uh, several weeks ago about the, the crippled man at the edge of the pool of Bethsaida and the the tradition there, the legend there, was that there was a, a pool uh, in this alabaster and marble uh, fountain that had been built down inside this beautiful portico there in Jerusalem, big columns all around, and people would go down there, and the pool would be still, of course, but sometimes an angel would come and stir the water, and if you got into it, you could be healed. And so, as you can imagine, around that pool, there were scores and scores of sick and lame and crippled and disabled people. And Jesus comes in one day, and there's a man laying on his mat, and Jesus, of course, because he's, he's Jesus, has knowledge of him, and he says to him, you know, what's up with you? And he says, I've been laying here forever, and every time the pool is stirred, I can't get down there because I can't move, and nobody will help me. She just says, fine, get up and walk. Take that bed with you when you go. And he does. Jesus heals him. It's miraculous. Up he comes. He takes his, 
And, he, and he's telling people, and people who recognize him on the street are like, hey, aren't you that guy that's been laying down there by the pool forever that I didn't help get in the water when the water was stirred, all that kind of stuff? And then apparently, Jesus leaves everybody else there. There's no record that he goes around and heals every other person who's hoping for and seeking a miracle in that place. And listen, there's a degree of that that bothers me. But he's God and he's sovereign. But it's true today that sometimes we will pray and our prayers will affect the movement and the hand of God in the way that we want it to. And other times, it will not. And suffering continues. And we don't understand why. And we can be disappointed with God. And yet, in the midst of it, I am thankful for the bountiful grace that God has showed towards me. And so uh, Pastor Dan goes through this exercise with his people, and he suggests in his book that disappointments like these are the stuff of life. And if we read the scriptures, we discover that alongside the stories of miracles and amazing feats of God, we hear story after story of disappointment of God, with God, of, of times that God appears silent and that he's not doing anything. And he says our problem is the Bible is there to tell us a great big story about God, and we tend to narrow it down to the, to the few things that we actually want to believe about God and we want to know about God and the way that we want God to be. And so we tend to focus on the miracle stories, and we develop a view of God that is so big that we are disappointed when God is actually being exactly who he said he was going to be. Now, we can't have a view that's too big of how great that God is, how great his power is, how great his love and grace is. They're boundless. But where we can have an issue is when we have a view that is too big of what God's will is. And I, I pray that you're not getting tired of it. But this is the message of the gospel. God's will is not to make our lives happy or better or perfect. God's will is to be with us in our lives. God's action in our world is not always to perform the miraculous, but more often, most often, more often than not, his will is to walk through our suffering with us. <clears throat> Pastor Dan says this, a view of God that is too big is harmful both to believer and unbeliever. This sounds crazy, right? But listen to this. When our understanding of God is exaggerated, we declare that God will do things he does not intend to do. 
at least, not regularly, and not in all situations. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 says it like this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer here reminds us that the only one sufficient to help us in times of need is the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the, the, the final sacrifice made to God on behalf of the sins of humanity. We can receive the gift of that sacrifice into our lives, become followers of Christ, and devote our lives to the purposes and mission of God here on earth. And in the course of that, we will have times where we are in need. That's the last verse. Find grace to help in time of need. We will have times where we need him. Let us not make the mistake when we need him of assuming what God will give us in response to our need and instead be thankful for whatever he does. Oh, this is hard or does not do. Because in all things, we can give thanks. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, I know that uh, there are some in this room today who are suffering, who are struggling, some who have family that are facing uh, gigantic mountains of trouble, who've suffered loss just in recent days, who face scary circumstances. Lord, who are in need of you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who pray in faith, and yet we pray as Jesus did, even in the garden. Lord, we express to you the desires of our heart. We ask you for healing. We ask you for comfort. We ask you for miracles in the name of Jesus, and yet... I don't want my will to be done. I desperately want your will to be done. 
And I want to be a follower of Christ that even in the times when I don't see the wisdom of your will, I give you thanks. Be with us. Grow us. Reveal yourself more fully to us each and every day. In Jesus' name.